tell me where in the world is crying in San Diego. Guys, this is episode one. We're finally here. Are you excited, Angie? I am so excited, guys. I can't believe we're actually here. We did it! <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining us. And where in the world is crime in San Diego? I am never thought I would do anything like this in my life. I'm super excited. I'm here to share my community to you and the rest of the world. So we'll get into it. So same here. Never in a million years thought I'd be here. But so glad we are. Um, first of all, just a disclaimer, we are just starting off. We are doing this as a passion project. So any and all feedback is welcome. Just please be kind with your words. It's how we're going to learn. It's how we're going to grow. So be patient with us. Keep in mind, this has been a lot of hard work and a lot of excitement behind the scenes to get here. Before we start, I just want to recognize our sources, Washington Post, BorderlandBeat.com, Zetatijuana.com, DailyMexicanPost.com, ABC30, CBS47, YourCentralValley.com, Facebook, Google Maps, and GoFundMe. All right, and without further ado, let's get started. So now let's introduce the International Liaison Unit, but everybody loves to call them the Gringo Hunters. Created back in 2002 to help capture most wanted south of the border, the unit consists of 10 men and 2 women. Suspects include pedophiles, rapists, murderers, and even those damn tax evaders, all thinking the same thing. I can start a new life in Mexico. Shoot, I would too. Many are attempting to hide in plain sight, from luxurious beach resorts, papas and beer, rehab centers, Carl's Jr. parking lots with prostitutes, some are even found dead. The creative ones get cosmetic surgery and change it to Spanish names they can't even pronounce. On average, the liaison unit captures 13 suspects a month, totaling up to 1,600 since 2002. And now let's get into the murder of Joshua Tao and the capture of Damien Salinas. So a little about Joshua Tao. He was born July 22, 1984 to a large family. He was grew up in Vasilia and then later on moved to Fresno. He was nicknamed Debo by his friends and family. Oh, Debo, like, from Friday. Um, I think so. I mean, looking at his picture with the shaved head, I would call him Debo, too. I think we're going to have to put it side by side so everybody else can judge. Cause uh, I have no idea. Let's do it. Speaking of movies, his older sister, Brooke Chia Tao, was actually in Gran Torino with Clint Eastwood. She has continued to be an advocate for her baby brother, since and throughout his murder. She refers to him as a teddy bear. And honestly, from all his friends and family, the more I read about him, the cooler he sounded. Like, it almost makes you miss somebody you never met. And like, I wish I was his friend. He was just loved by everybody around him, friends, family. He was the greatest uncle. He loved all his nieces and nephews. Like I said, large family. So totally checks out. Joshua loved cars, which made his profession perfect for him. He was a mechanic by day at a local shop, and at night, he was known to host these really fun Facebook lives where he would either tell jokes, try a funny challenge, 
some sort of comedy, anything to keep his friends and family laughing. More than anything, the biggest trait about Joshua Tao is that he was always willing to help everyone and anyone around him. Which is why on the morning of August 16, 2020 at 4 a.m., a friend called Tao for assistance as they had just been in a motor vehicle accident. Not knowing all the details of the situation, Joshua shows up ready to help however he can. The other party had called on their friend, 19-year-old Damien Salinas, to come and assist them with the same motor vehicle accident. It is stated by the police reports and witnesses that both parties were calling multiple friends and family to come out and help. So considering that the accident happened at 4 in the morning, it's safe to assume that this turned out to be a late out, late night out of drinking, partying, that they were on their way going home and got into an accident before heading home? Well, none of the reports claim that there was alcohol or intoxication involved, but I mean, considering that the other group was around 19 years old and it was a late Saturday night, I would assume the same thing. Like, nothing good happens after 2 a.m., so. That's for sure. At some point, the conversation turned heated over who was at fault. And Joshua, being Joshua, decided to jump in and play peacemaker and try to help de-escalate the situation. It seemed like things were going really well. He actually went up to Damien Salina, shook his hand. It seemed like everybody was going to go their own way and deal with it in the morning. As this was happening, Joshua starts to walk away and Salinas turns around and opens fire, shooting him several times and fatally injuring him, therefore costing him his life. Salinas immediately fled the scene, leaving what was a car accident, now a crime scene. Over the next several days, the Tao family and the community all came together to hold vigils, fundraisers, and even opened a GoFundMe that raised $9,109. You can really see the impact that Joshua Tao had in his community by how much everybody came together. So that was very touching. 17 days later, the news broke. Joshua Tao's murderer had been identified as 19-year-old Damien Salinas. And what seemed very hopeful and prosper for the family and everybody waiting for justice was just the beginning. As for the next one year, seven months, and 14 days, the Tao family was left to wonder if this would be yet another unsolved murder in their family history. 30 years prior, their aunt had been murdered, and to date, her murderer has not been brought to justice. In February of 2022, rumors spread that Salinas had been spotted south of the border. To put that into perspective... From Fresno to Tijuana, that's 355 miles. In March, after Crime Stoppers tip confirmed, the gringo hunters were on the chase. By the third week of that month, they had successfully captured eight drug traffickers, two murderers, and one pedophile. Now, the liaison unit got intel that Salinas had been cutting hair down in Ensenada. The barbershop had some kind of rental or an apartment upstairs, and that's where the gringo hunters decided to investigate. Carlos, who's part of the group, studied Salinas down to the finest detail. Six foot, 185 pounds, with a tattoo on his right arm that says, Forever West Coast. Although Carlos was the youngest guy in the group, he knew exactly what to look for that made the foreigners stand out from the locals. Now at this point, Carlos goes into the barbershop to see if he could spot Damien, but he's not there. So he decides to go back to his car, and he calls for backup. This is where two more units of the Gringo Hunters show up, one being Yvonne and Abigail. Yvonne 
started back in 2010 after his background of being a bodyguard and construction worker. Now, what sold Yvonne to being recruited to the Gringo Hunters was him himself cleaning up his country and his community. He always told himself that he did not want to have these bad hombres in his country and potentially creating the same crimes in Mexico. Yvonne kept pictures of his captures on his phone, kind of like a trophy, to show others. And one of which was Anthony Lucky Luciano, which we'll get to later. Now, Abigail in the unit is called a man in a woman's body. She's calm, she's collect, takes the nonviolent approach on capturing these suspects. She even got the lucky shot on Luciano. Haha, <laughs> pun intended. So now the unit is waiting to gather more information to see if Salinas is an Ensenada or he went somewhere else. Now, at this moment, this is where Intel drops that Salinas was confirmed to be in Tijuana, which is 65 miles north of Ensenada. Now, Abigail takes the wheel and they drive 100 miles an hour on the coast highway back to Tijuana. All the while, while she's driving, texting back and forth. Is it him? Is it not? Where is his location? Now, being familiar with driving up that highway, you can't help but notice the last corona for 25 miles. This is your house for 134,000. Thong and tequila parties at Hong Kong's. The unit finally arrives at Tijuana, guided yet to another barbershop. After a couple hours stakeout, Damien Salinas is finally spotted. Although his appearance did not match his description, his California ID told a different story. So it appears that when Salinas first got caught, he really thought that he was like, this isn't a big deal, can probably bribe my way out of this, it's not that serious. And when they would talk to him, he would, in Spanish, not understand them, kind of like shrug his shoulders. The closer he got to the border, the more it started to hit home. And luckily, some of the gringo hunters actually speak English, so that was a little bit of like avoiding the barrier. So one of the most common misconceptions of this is the idea of extradition, how the court systems take too long. So lucky for us, U.S. and Mexico have a really good relationship when it comes to the extradition of fugitives. What Mexico does is they arrest people for violating Mexican immigration laws or a Mexican law in general if they're caught doing something bad. And they'll notify the U.S. to meet them at the border. They'll get to the border and walk them across. And it's kind of funny because in Damien Salinas' video, you can see like they kind of push him over to the U.S. line. And then U.S. Marshals grab him and take him from there. Um, so that is on the Washington Post blog. If you want to see like the footage of that, there's videos of the journalists following the journey. So like in return, does the U.S. or Mexico get something? So there's no actual money exchange because that would make it kind of illegal. Mm -hmm. But what they do is they send them equipment from the U.S. They send them to U.S. training since they're using the skills that they're learning to catch U.S. fugitives. They'll send gift cards, prizes. Um, but honestly, the reason that Mexico doesn't isn't even for the payday. They do it because they don't want these people in their own country, which is kind of ironic because everybody thinks that Mexicans want to come to the U.S. But these people that are working are because they want to clean out the bad people and send them back to where they came from, like literally. So Salinas was extradited and he immediately sent back to Fresno to await a trial. His bail was set at $1.5 million. Ah, uh, damn. Uh-huh. 
His preliminary hearing was originally set for mid-June. Just his luck, he got COVID, so he had to get quarantined for two more weeks. He was set to be seen back on July 26th, and due to all the cases that got set back because of COVID, he's now put back in the schedule until September 22nd. So this will be a case that we'll try to keep updated with and kind of see where it goes. As of now, his family has used the GoFundMe funds to set a beautiful gravestone for Joshua Tao that says, Racing in Paradise. Also, some of the funds are going to the legal battle that's still ongoing. On his 36th birthday, which was just two weeks before this incident occurred, Joshua Tao was surprised by friends and family with a little cupcake and get-together at home. Keep in mind, this was still middle of the pandemic. It was 2020 at its prime. On a Facebook video that one of his siblings posted, Joshua made a little speech as a thank you for his family. And one thing he says that stood out was, even when I die, nobody can ever take my family or my love for you guys away. And for a 36-year-old, that kind of stood odd to me. Um, It's just something that stayed in my mind. And as of today, Joshua Tao would have been 38 years old. So he's definitely still missed by friends and family and his community. And I just hope that you know, it gives us a little glimpse to honor those around us to not wait till it's too late and just really enjoy the relationships and those around you today. I would like to thank the Gringo Hunters because without their help, none of this would ever be possible. This is helping so many families have some kind of closure, justice brought back to those who have caused harm of their loved ones or even, you know, have affected the future of people that they've abused. Thank you, Gringo Hunters, and keep up the good work. So we had to point out this other instance of the Gringo Hunters' amazing work just because it's honestly out of a movie. It's completely mind-blowing, and I had no idea about it, and I'm an avid crime junkie, so I'm assuming that most of you don't either, and if you have, well, here's a new spin on it. This is the story of Anthony Lucky Luciano, And the way his luck ran out. Anthony Lucky Luciano was an L.A. native who was charged on November 12, 2019 for sexual assault and false imprisonment of his 14-year-old neighbor. Because she was a minor, there's not too much media coverage on either the case or the police reports too much information shows. So that's about as much as we got. Fast forward to July 29, 2021. This is where the Gringo Hunters chase begins. But they were not alone. Three other units were on the heels of Lucky Luciano. And they were all from different government agencies. So that's a pretty big deal. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure they all knew that he was armed and dangerous. So it's at this moment where Lucky Luciano is on the side of the streets, minding his own business. And he is spotted by the officers. At this point, he has no idea that this many people are watching his every move. So two officers walk up to Lucky, confronting him. And that's when he pulls out his gun and shoots at the officers. So he starts shooting out and a full shootout and brawls. In my mind, it goes like Wild West status, like just bullets flying everywhere and freak out mode. What's kind of crazy is that this is in plain daylight and there's pedestrians, there's people minding their own business and they're all seeing this happen in front of them. Like, Oh, this is in downtown Tijuana. So this is like the busiest neighborhood, prime daylight, 2 p.m., I think. Lucky's shooting at the officers, the officers shooting back at him. Lucky actually manages to hit two of the officers that are after him. 
Lucky spots a Mini Cooper and he immediately jumps in, takes it, takes these poor two girls for the wildest ride of their lives. Haha, <laughs> pun intended. I'm sure they're going to have like lifetime trauma. Like, who wouldn't? Especially considering what happens next. Lucky begins to drive off, police at his heels, going left and right, swerving through cars, cutting corners. Less than a mile later, he ends up crashing into a parked taxi. The second shootout begins. Lucky's trying to run on foot, still shooting whatever bullets he's got left. And sadly, there was pedestrians. Again, this part of Tijuana, if you've been to downtown like Revolucion area, is so crowded, so chaotic. There's plenty of pedestrians, plenty of cars. The amount of cars that park, like you can barely fit in between them. It's insane. There's three lanes, but they drive like that. There's four. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> there's, it's like downtown, but worse. A lot more disorganized. Sadly, during this exchange, three civilians were hit, two men, one woman, all in their 50s. Luckily, they all survived, no life-threatening injuries. So as Lucky gets out of the vehicle and he's starting to shoot out with the cops, Abigail shows up, draws her weapon, ends up striking Luciano in the throat and another one in the head, fatally wounding him. So not only did the shot set the reputation for herself, it set it up for the Gringo Hunters as well. I don't know about you guys, but for me, that story, every detail was just more and more jaw dropping and I did not see it ending the way it did. But I'm glad that only five people were injured and everybody's recovering. The two girls in the Mini Cooper obviously had a nervous breakdown when they got out. But as of now, they're fine. You know, it's just something that they have to live with. They're very grateful that like they weren't injured. I think what's kind of amazing is how the Mexican media will show in full detail some of these reports and how they're shown. There's no sensory compared to what it is like here in the U.S. Oh, no, the sensory was like minimal to none. Like they really do show they'll blur out the spots of where the person was shot, but it leaves very little to the imagination. And you can see there's some photos of like Luciano in the middle of the street after his passing. And it's just crazy to me as well. That I don't know if it's better or worse. And we've kind of had this little debate going back and forth as far as like, is it better to know everything and have full transparency? Or does that make people desensitize and want to commit more crimes or want copycats? You know, so personally, I feel like things weren't censorized here in the U.S. People would be more proud to see that their work is shown on television. Their persona, their their mind, mindset would be, look what is being shown to the rest of the world. Which is the scary part, that if you show too much, then it makes people want it, like that fame. Yeah. But then if you don't show enough, then people don't take it serious because they don't know the reality of it. So our question to you guys is, do you think that sensitizing the media brings down the crime rate or would increase the crime rate depending on, like, should we have... More transparency or are we diminishing the amount of crimes by censorizing everything? Let us know what you think. So now we're going to talk about this week's SBS. Small Business Spotlight. So as mentioned before, we love to support local businesses and we are going to aim to have one a week of the little head and gems we discover and that way you guys can check them out as well. Today... We're going to talk to you guys about Misadventure. Misadventure is a small, locally owned vodka cocktail 
Distillery, Distillery. right? Distillery. And the way they make their vodka is actually pretty amazing. They use excess goods from local bakeries, uh, pantry shelters, and they turn their old bread into vodka. And then they infuse these drinks into some tasty, tasty drinks that you would never even think of that came from vodka made out of bread. So if you go, you have to try El Nino. It El, is the El best. Nino and then the early bird. Oh, that one too. Oh, the early bird. It's fresh. It is dangerous. Because you don't realize how nice and fresh that drink is. Make sure you eat before you go. Learn from our mistake. Yeah. And they also have a flight so you could try a sample of their drinks without having to commit to one. Because honestly, they're all good. Like, we haven't tried anything we didn't like. Oh, to this day, we haven't tried anything there that we have not liked. Make sure you, you look for Juan. He will hook you up. Misadventure. They're off of 2420 Grand Avenue, Site C in Vista, California. We will drop their Instagram page on our social media outlets. So please reach out, check it out. Let us know what you think. Thank you guys for being here. If you got this far, this is our first episode. This is exciting. <laughs> I, I, we finally made it. Episode one is done. In the books. And with that said... Tune in every Monday for your next dose of Where in the World is Crime in San Diego? Till then, catch us on the next case. Oh, and in case we don't see you, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Tell me where in the world is Crime in San Diego. Hey,